This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Well, good afternoon, everyone. We're so happy to have you join us today to worship God and to hear from his word. So as we open the Bible, let's bow our heads and lift up our hearts to God. Father God, thank you so much that you are a speaking God and you have come to speak to your children, to address us, to teach us, to encourage us and to bless us. And we do not want to go away from this meeting unblessed, O Lord. So open your hands, shower your grace upon your hungry and waiting people. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So as we mentioned, this is the third Sunday in Advent, and we've been going through a series of uh, messages on the minor prophets, some minor notes, as it were, on the Advent as we look forward to the coming of Jesus, both in his first coming at Christmas and, of course, the second coming of Christ when he comes to judge the living and the dead, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed. So our text today is from the book of Malachi, and it's not that hard to find because it's the very last book of the Old Testament, at least in most English translations. And we're going to be reading from Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, up into chapter 4, verse 3. Listen to the word of God. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of God. Now, Malachi was one of the later prophets. He wrote in about 460 BC, just before the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when the people of Israel were returning from the exile. And Malachi had a difficult task, a hard word from God and a hard people to preach to. Andrew Hill says that Malachi's sermons were directed to the disillusioned, the cynical, the callous, the dishonest, the apathetic, the doubting, the skeptical, and the outright, outright wicked in post-exilic Judah. That is a difficult congregation of people to speak to, and it was Malachi's calling to address them with the word of God. And this short book, only three or four chapters, is 
filled with disputes that God has against his people. He raises charges against them. And what, we're, what we've just read is the last of six disputes, six charges that God has against his people. And it's responding to this arrogant complaint that the people have. There was this rising murmur of discontent, and here was the feeling that the Israelites were having. It's pointless to serve God. What's, what's the use? Where's the profit? What's the benefit? We don't see any discernible benefit to serving God. Why are we working so hard to keep God's commandments? Why are we toiling and striving? And we're not getting any kind of extra blessing compared with if we didn't serve God at all. It's just, it just doesn't seem to pay to obey God. Not only that, they complain that serving God is a gloomy and depressing business. God calls us into his house and he calls us to repent and mourn for our sins. And it just feels like a funeral. And honestly, we don't really need this kind of negativity in our lives. We want something that makes us feel good, that rubs us, that caresses us, that gives us the, th the strength we need to get through difficult life. And we just are tired of going about like mourners, like we're going to a funeral. Religion is just too dark and too heavy, and it makes us feel guilty and bad about ourselves. And so you can see the Israelites in Malachi's time were beginning to to deconstruct their faith, to start to take it apart and ask themselves some questions about whether it was even worth all the bother and all the depression and all the negativity of serving God. And then they looked around them and they observed that actually the arrogant and the wicked, those are the ones who seem to be blessed. It's not the faithful covenant people of God who have the windows of heaven open and are enjoying riches and prosperity. It's the bad guys. It's the arrogant. It's the people who ignore God. They're the ones who are getting rich and doing well in life. And why are we going through all this trouble of serving God and worshiping him when it seems we might actually be better off taking the path of the wicked? And in fact, these are the people who are, who are daring God to punish them. They're pushing God to the limit and the heavens are silent. There's no lightning that strikes. The earth doesn't open up and swallow the wicked. God seems like he's not responding. And if he even exists, he seems to be asleep at the wheel. And so really, the people of Israel were beginning to grow weary. They were beginning to get tired of serving God. And life seemed like it would be a lot more free and a lot more pleasant and a lot more enjoyable and a lot more prosperous without God. Been with him. That's how most of the people were feeling. But there was, as there always is in the history of the people of God, a faithful remnant, just a small number of people, and they got together. The people who feared God gathered. They were people who feared God. They had a sense of the weight of God's glory, a sense of his presence, a sense of his holy eye upon them. And these were not thoughts they were willing to entertain. And so these, this little remnant of people who feared God, they gathered. And they began to talk to each other, Malachi says. And he doesn't explain exactly what it was they talked about, but it's easy to imagine they shared with each other what they were hearing from the arrogant, from their family and their friends and their neighbors and their co-workers. This complaint that was being uttered publicly publicly, 
about the weariness of serving God. And I'm sure even these faithful Israelites, even these people who feared God, they felt the force of those objections. I feel the force of those objections, and perhaps you feel the force of those objections as well. Because it's not easy to serve God. And you may have been promised that when you began to follow Jesus, life would get easier and Christ would fix all your problems. And in fact, the opposite has happened. Life has gotten harder. And serving God has felt costly, something you've been pouring yourself into and have been getting very little in return. And it's not always easy being a Christian. It's not always rewarding being a faithful person who patiently seeks God. And you may be the person at work who is acting with honesty and integrity, but you're not the one who gets the promotion. It's your coworker who's, you know, lying and cheating and manipulating his way to the top. And this person is advancing faster than you are in the company. Perhaps you have been very diligent about being sexually pure and saving your body for the one that God has called you to marry. And yet God has not supplied you with the spouse that your heart longs for. Or maybe you're a couple who desperately longs to have children and you have been faithfully, urgently, desperately praying for God to bless your womb. And yet there's been miscarriage after miscarriage. Well, in the meantime, those who don't care about God at all, who never even have them in their thoughts for a moment, just seem to go from strength to strength and from blessing to blessing. And it seems like sometimes that God loves his own children less than those who are strangers to him. And you and I are not the first people to feel this. If you turn to Psalm 73 for a moment, and it's always interesting pairing these psalms with the prophets, the psalmist Asaph felt the same difficult questions. And in Psalm 73, it's kind of a meditation of him observing the prosperity of those who don't love God. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's his confession of faith. But then he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. And therefore, Asaph wonders to himself, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Because all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. It's not easy serving God. And so those who do want to serve God and those who do love him and those who do fear him in the time of Malachi gather together, men and women and children in someone's home perhaps, and they encourage each other and strengthen each other in their faith. And they exhort one another, remember the glory of God. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Press on and continue keeping covenant with our faithful God. And the amazing thing that Malachi tells us is that the Lord paid attention. The creator of the universe heard what this little group of people were saying to each other, and he listened 
to their conversation. Just a few ordinary people, not especially wealthy or gifted or powerful, gathered in some mud-walled home, have the ear of the God of the universe. And Malachi tells us that a scroll of remembrance was written in God's presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And he leaves it open as to who was writing the scroll. Perhaps it was the God-fearers who were signing their names to a covenant, expressing their determination to follow God. And they were spreading out this document before the Lord, saying, Lord, remember those who are choosing to honor you. But on balance, I think it's more likely that the scroll is not being written by human beings, but that it's being entered by some angelic recorder in the heavenly presence of God. These people are meeting, and up on high, there is there are heavenly minutes being recorded of this meeting. There is a legal document being filed in the chronicles of God, a document of the faithfulness of a small group of people that will one day be brought out of the files and will serve as evidence that will vindicate on the day of judgment. It turns out that the arrogant, the cynical, the doubters were actually wrong. God is watching, and he is remembering, and he is recording. And it's so encouraging that no true act of service, nothing that is done out of fear and love for God will go unremembered or unrewarded. In God's time, not in our time, but in God's time. And God promises us today, those who honor me, I will honor. And really, the little that we give to God, and after all, we are only unprofitable servants, will in God's good time be lavishly rewarded by our Redeemer and our Judge. And it gets even better because God goes on to say that on the day when I act, says the Lord, these God-fearers are going to be my treasured possession. There's a day coming when God is going to act. He's going to stretch forth his mighty right arm and he is going to judge the world. He's going to rip the sky open and unleash his holy wrath upon sin and evil in his creation. But there is a promise that goes along with this threatening day of judgment. That God has a special people that are very, very dear to him. And he's going to protect them and save them and destine them not for destruction, but for final salvation. And really, as we read these words in Malachi, it should prompt us to just stop for a moment and close our eyes and just remember that God loves us with an incredible love. And none of us who are watching today have the faintest idea of how dear we are to God, how incredibly precious we are to our maker. We're his personal treasure, not some, you know, wealth that's in stock somewhere that's just a list of numbers. It's the closest thing to God's heart. We are the jewels that are not just lying in his jewel box, but are kept close to his chest as the most valuable possession that he has. 
We are the inheritance of God. And he is looking forward to enjoying our company, our friendship in the new heavens and the new earth, which is just amazing for creatures and sinners to even consider in our minds. But it's true. Because we're people who, if we believe in Jesus, we're purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And that makes us infinitely valuable to the Father. Because anyone who has the name of his Son written on their foreheads will be God's forever and ever. And he will delight over them and he will sing over them. And God promises in Malachi that on that day of judgment, he will spare them, these God-fears, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. We're not just servants. We're God's beloved children. We're his sons and daughters. And God sees our very feeble and, of course, never completely pure act of obedience, but his all-seeing eye penetrates to the very heart, and he knows our deepest motivations, and he recognizes that within us there is the desire to serve and honor our Father and do something that will bless his heart. And therefore, because of that work of the Holy Spirit within us, because we are accepted for Christ's sake on the day of judgment, we will be spared, and the destroying angel will pass over our households and will be welcomed into the promised land that God has for us. There's a day of judgment coming. And God explains that it will be a day when there will be a sorting, a distinction, when those who are good and those who are evil will be put into their separate piles. And God promises, I'm going to divide between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. And Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the chaff. And there will only be two categories, not three, not four. There's no grays, just black and white, those who belong to God and those who do not belong to him. And really, as we look around, it's often so unclear in life which camp people belong to. There are those who seem to be doing very impressive things for God and incredible acts of godliness and service healing the sick and casting out demons. But on the day of judgment, Jesus will say, get away from me. I never knew you. On the other hand, there are very quiet, humble servants of God who have gone completely unnoticed. And perhaps even there have been lies and slander said about them. And they've been counted in our minds as those who do not belong to God. But on the day of judgment, God is going to vindicate those who belong to him. And what we have heard privately as God's sentence of justification through Christ will be announced publicly towards the whole world. There is a day coming, God says, and it's going to burn like a furnace. There's a day of darkness and gloom and judgment, and there will be an inferno of the wrath of God. And it will destroy everything before it that is dry and combustible. And all the arrogant are going to be consumed like straw. And the wicked will be burnt up like stubble. Things that are dry, lifeless husks, and they're just going to burst up in flame. 
and nothing will be left but ashes. The arrogant and the wicked are those who have convinced themselves that God is not watching and that they can disobey him and that they can flout his law with impunity. But God is watching and he is going to judge. And there will be a day when all dark secrets are brought to life and every man will be given his due for the deeds that he has done. No one can push God to the limit and get away with it. It will be a day of judgment and terror and fear for those who have denied God and who have pushed them out of their lives. But for the righteous, the fire of God's presence is not death and terror. It's life and joy. Because God goes on to say in Malachi, but for those of you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness is going to rise with healing in its wings, in its rays. It'll be like a glorious sunrise after a cold night, a night that seems like it's going on forever, but the sun is going to rise and it's going to heal us and give us fresh life and fresh joy. When I was a little boy many years ago, Sometimes my dad would wake me up very early in the morning, 4, 4.30 in the morning, so that we could go fishing together. And my mom would be there in her housecoat making us fried egg sandwiches, and we'd pack them, we'd go into the car, and we would take the little ferry across the Fraser River to Barnston Island. And in the dark, we would make our way down to these kind of log rafts that were going down the river. And we would sit there in the dark with numbed hands trying to get our fishing instruments ready. And then... The sun would rise and our damp clothes would begin to dry. Light would stream over the river. It would be a glorious, warm morning. And what a good feeling that was. And this is what the day of judgment is going to be like for those who have put their hope in God. This is a season of Advent. It's a season of waiting for God to act on behalf of those who have put their hope in him. And we're, we're waiting for this to happen. More than watchmen are waiting for the dawn. We wait for God just to show up and fix everything that's wrong with the world. From the very first days of the early church, Christian interpreters recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of of God's righteousness. He is that life-giving orb that's going to fill the sky from which we derive all life, all energy, and all happiness. And when Jesus arises and becomes the center of everything, God says in Malachi, those who fear him and those who put their faith in him are going to burst out from their stall and frolic through the fields like well-fed calves, bouncing and cavorting, just full of life and bursting with energy, wriggling with joy for being let free from confinement and entering into freedom. That is what we are waiting for at Advent. Of course, waiting is one of the most difficult things we can do. I hate waiting. I remember, man, maybe 2005, I flew back from Asia to Vancouver, and it was a horrible journey. I was 60 hours in transit, eight-hour layovers from Nepal back to Vancouver, and the last leg of the flight was 13 hours from Osaka, Japan. 
and the plane landed, and instead of going immediately to the gate, for some technical reason, we just had to sit there on the tarmac and wait. And that hour crawled by, and I was ready just to rip my own skin off in frustration at not being allowed off this plane. Waiting is hard, and the most difficult thing to do is to sit still and patiently look for God to show up and to rescue us from sin, from death, from the dilemma of living in a fallen world. And Advent is the season of waiting. Because salvation is future. We're not experiencing the glory now, but it is coming and we must wait for it. Jesus said that whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. Jesus never promised life would get easier if we became his disciple. He says, count the cost. It's going to get harder, but it is a sacrifice worth making because there is glory. There is a crown. There's joy and there's dancing at the end of this long and stony road. It's hard to do, and that's why so many have fallen away. And as we go through life, we're going to begin seeing those on our right and on our left giving up faith and turning away from Jesus. And that's why we need one another. To gather together, however we're able to do it these days, but to gather together and encourage one another and remind each other of the presence, the glory, the fear of this God that we serve. To remind each other, there is a day coming. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But there is a day of resurrection that God has promised for us. And that is what we pray for. And that is what we long for. So I want to exhort you. I want to exhort myself. Let's be encouraging each other daily as we see the day approaching so that we do not faint or flag, that we do not let our hands droop, that we don't fall or drop out of the race from despair or exhaustion, but that we press on, that we keep the faith, that we run the race, that we stretch our hands forward for the prize that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Here we are, the God-fearers, the God-hopers, huddled together in the darkness, and our eyes are looking eastwards, waiting for the sunrise. And already the sky is changing. We can see the first pale hints of the coming dawn. Jesus is coming soon. Any moment now, the sun of righteousness will burst over the horizon and fill the sky and bring us into everlasting joy in the presence of God, our Father. And in that day, even the smallest act of service to Christ will be recalled by God. And the scroll of remembrance will be opened up and our names will be there and our deeds will follow us into God's new creation. Even the smallest act of love and loyalty to Jesus, even a cup of cold water offered in his name will not fail to have its reward from our kind and generous God. So, wait for the Lord. Be strong and have courage and wait 
for the Lord. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.